Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. God's word is non-negotiable. It's all true from cover to cover. Yeah, but Pastor Mark, I don't like that. I, yeah, I know. I don't like some of it either. Why is it we go through all the Word of God? So that we understand what God's trying to teach us. So what did Saul do? He simply would pick and choose. You can't pick and choose. If you're here tonight and you like some of the things we've talked about, but some things you don't like about, you can't pick and choose. God's Word is non-negotiable. It's true. It's all true. The problem with a lot of the church today is that too many people want to treat the Bible as a buffet. They want to pick and choose which parts to follow and either ignore or downplay the parts that are uncomfortable for them. Worse yet, some churches ignore the entire Bible altogether, with the pastor basically telling stories that sound morally or socially correct, but which have little biblical backing. Pastor Mark will be teaching about Saul's failure to follow biblical principles and how that led to his downfall, and will be warning you against making the same mistake in your life. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in 1 Samuel chapter 31 as he continues his message, The Life of David. Now, when the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled, now why would the army flee? Because they, what happened? The, the leader's dead. The three sons are dead. They're out of there. So they fled. And that Saul and his sons had died. They abandoned their towns all along the valley, and they fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. That's a sad picture. That's a sad picture. The enemy began to live in the cities of Israel, God's land, God's promised land. Verse 8. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor And they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. And they put his armor in the temple of the Asheros, false gods, and fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shion. Now, here's a couple of pictures. Actually, this is an amazing city. That's that whole area is Beshion. When we go there, you get to see it. And I always teach this passage actually when we're there. And so you can see the countryside, where it is, and what that looks like. This is the remains of the city. Lots of different areas as you go there. Now, what happened? Well, 
the Philistines came and they stripped all the dead as they normally do. They would take all the goodies back to their area. And they went back to proclaim news in their temples. This was their area of the idols, those temples that were pagan gods. And they put his armor in the temple and then they took his body and nailed it to the wall. What about Saul's image now? The enemy knew exactly how to take advantage of the victory over the king of Israel. How? Saul's tragic death gave opportunity for the enemies of God to what? Mock him. They put Saul's headless picture in those days on Facebook for the whole world to see. Then they hung Saul headless to the wall. What were they saying to the world? Here's what they were saying to the world. Our pagan gods are more powerful than the God that was supposed to be a powerful God that King Saul served. I began to write some of the things down. What happened to Saul? He lost his anointing. He lost his kingship. Here he lost his life. He lost many of his men. He lost his sons. He lost his honor. And in the end, what happened? Saul made God look bad. Just the opposite of what we've been teaching. Saul made God look bad. I want to challenge you and I with this little statement. When we die, let's make God look good. Amen? Let's make God look good. We sang tonight what? How great is our God. Now, if I'm going to make God look good when I die, when does that have to start? <laughs> exactly. Because I could die tomorrow. So I just want to challenge you, and most of you are doing fantastic. We want to make God look good today by our lives. All the different areas of ministry in. Look at what God's done in the last three months. Four months, he's opened all these new areas of windows where we can go in and minister to people. Plumpy does overseas. A new nation is going to be able to hear the gospel as we've been going through it. Thousands of you are going through, and you're almost to finish your 40 days. Some of the rest of you will be till Jesus comes to finish the 40 days. <laughs> but you'll get there. Just keep going. Just get a chapter a day. That's cool. Just keep going. Just keep going. Here we got the new medical clinic we talked about. Isn't that going to be awesome? See, why are we doing that? To make us look good? Never. To make God look good. King of kings, Lord of lords. That's why we're here. It's not about buildings. It's about God and people and how we use our time. The tippies, as they're down in Peru, like all the rest of our missionaries, why are they down there? To make themselves look good? No, we're there to make God look good. So let me just challenge you in your life. Let's make God look good. We'll look at verse 11. When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard of what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men journeyed through the night to Bethshean. Dangerous, dangerous trip. And they took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshean and went to Jabesh where they buried them. Then they took their bones and burned them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. 
Now, at the end of a difficult passage, we have hope. Here's some men, some valiant, broad, bold, daring men still left in Israel. After they've been defeated, they risked their lives to go and restore the honor of God. Saul is gone, but God has what? Another whole group of people to come up. I think this is a good statement for us, and we know it, but you need to be reminded of it tonight because it takes our eyes off of men. God's work is bigger than any man, any church, and any group of people. Don't ever think that we're the cream of the crop for God. No, we're just one of many hundreds of thousands of wonderful churches that God is using. And God can use anybody and does use anybody. So it's not about King Saul. King Saul's gone. What's going to happen? Is Israel going to fall apart? Well, they're defeated there, but guess what happens? They're going to rise up again. You're going to see David comes to the throne. Good things begin to happen again. Why? Because God's going to be back, what? Ruling the people through a godly king. So Moses died. Great man of God died. What happens? Well, I guess that's the end it. They'll never get in the promised land. What happens? God raises up who? Joshua. Boom, here they go. So I've talked to you about this before. When somebody leaves a church, one of our elders leaves, a pastor does this, a pastor dies, he goes off and starts a new church or whatever. Well, I guess the work of the kingdom's gone. Let's say tomorrow I head off to Timbuktu. God calls me to start a church somewhere else. Well, I guess Calvary Chapel's down the tubes. Don't ever even think about it. It has nothing to do with man. It has all to do with God. Because whose church is it? Yeah. Let's. How about you? If you die tonight and you leave behind you, what? Hopefully your influence. And there'll be somebody that will take over for your ministry, for your kids, and whatever. i never forget this. This is back in 1969 when I interviewed for my job. I know I've told you before, but you need to remember it. I went in to my boss, who was new to me, and he said, now I'm expecting you to do a great job because I have good things for you. And God blessed me for more than 25 years there. And he wasn't really a believer. I find that out later. But he says, just in case you think you're important, here's how much. When you leave, didn't make any difference. Watch it again. That was his opening statement to me. I felt like, what am I, Swiss cheese or what here? But was he wise? He was very wise. Since I've left, there's been three or four more directors there. It just goes on. See, God's work will just go on. So he uses us, but we're not like super special. And so all of a sudden, here's Saul, who had given up. It was a disgrace to God. What do we have? Valiant men come along, and they're going to be rewarded, by the way, from da- by David later on because of what they did. Now, How did Saul come to this tragic end? I want to give you three keys tonight I want you to write down. How did Saul come to a tragic end? Number one, I want you to write this. And you'll see two keys here. Number one, partial obedience is complete disobedience. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. Somehow, Saul made the mistake of thinking partial obedience was the same thing as obeying God. Saul would obey God fully... When he wanted to, 
But if he decided not to obey God in this particular situation, he simply wouldn't obey him. Satan deceived Saul into thinking that he could determine when to obey God and when not to obey God. Now, I wrote the next thing there. God's word is non-negotiable. We have to be careful that you and I don't take this word. And when it comes to a part we like, we claim it. When it comes to part we don't like, we go to the next page. You can't do that. You cannot do that. God's word is non-negotiable. It's all true from cover to cover. Yeah, but Pastor Mark, I don't like that. I, yeah, I know. I don't like some of it either. Why is it we go through all the word of God? So that we understand what God's trying to teach us. So what did Saul do? He simply would... Pick and choose. You can't pick and choose. If you're here tonight and you like some of the things we talked about, but some things you don't like about, you can't pick and choose. God's word is non-negotiable. It's true. It's all true. We see this everywhere in the church today now. The word of God being diluted. The word of God not being taught. By the way, did you know there's now a great atheist in England? He's come out with a brand new Bible called the Atheist Bible. See, people laugh at that. But this is just another way that Satan is trying to deceive the world. Because our friends and neighbors don't know this. They don't know hardly anything about it. Now, as you think about this, Philippians, Paul said this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more now in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When I saw that, here's what I saw. Somewhere in that life of Saul, he no longer feared God. He no longer feared God. If you and I lose the fear of God, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If we no longer fear God, and how do I know that happens? Well, I'll obey God on this, but I won't obey God on this. If you and I get to that point, we're in trouble. That's exactly what happened to Saul. We will never end by being partial, obedient people to the Word of God. Now, our role model, of course, again, is Jesus. Jesus said in John eight twenty nine, This one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him, which is simply the Word of God. Now, the key to this is obeying God because we want to, not because we have to. Why do I want to obey God? Because I know that if I obey God, his will for me is good. Somehow, all of us have to get that always there in our mind. The will of God is good for me. The will of God, say it with me. The will of God is good for me. Say it with me. The will of God is good for me. So if God asks me to obey, the will of God is it's good for me. Here, take a look at these two. Jesus would say it this way. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food, my passion. It drives me. Obeying God was the driving force in Jesus' life. Not because he had to. He knew it was good for him. Psalm 48. These two verses fit together. I was so excited this afternoon when I looked at that. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I take joy. I take joy in doing your will, in obeying you, God. Because your instructions are written on my heart. 
Do you ever hear this statement? His or her heart is not really into it. You've heard it. If that becomes true in our life concerning the Word of God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. By the way, I just want to say to you guys, you bless me tonight because you are willingly obeying God. You're encouraging. You're being blessed because you want to obey God. So really, it's just for areas. Sometimes when the enemy comes in and we see this little one area that that old flesh rises up, just be careful. You want to obey God not because you have to, but because you can. Number two, when confronted by God, Saul never truly repented. That's a huge danger. He said the right words, never really repented. Remember, repentance means turn around and living differently. It's an action that comes from a heart change. How many times did we see Saul, for instance, would David say to David, Oh, I'm so sorry, David. Didn't mean to hurt you. I'm so sorry. Next thing you know, he's after him, kill him again. Same exact thing with God. True repentance is necessary if you and I are going to be totally forgiven. And number three, why did Saul lose out? Why did he end poorly? Saul's heart became hard because of repeated compromise. It wasn't once. It wasn't twice. It wasn't quick. It was a slow process of moving away from the will of God. Now, in Proverbs 4.23, we're told by Solomon, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the well spring of life. Everything we do, the control center of my life and your life tonight is our heart. And I have to guard that. And so what happened is Saul's heart became hard. It became hard. It became calloused. That's exactly the opposite of what God wants. You don't need to write this down, but I want you to see this tonight. A soft heart, in quotes. God designed our hearts to be soft and responsive to him. In other words, when God speaks to us, he doesn't want to hear these words. Oh, you're kidding me. I have to? No, God. That's a hard heart. Yes, I desire to. God, now, I'm afraid, but you're going to have to help me. That's fine. That's a soft heart. God, I'm willing, but I don't think I can do it. Help my unbelief. That's a soft heart. That's great. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's a hard heart. Now, how do hearts get hard? We'll do this quickly. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, if you will. Romans chapter 1. Let's go to verse 18. And we see this process because all of us have to guard our hearts. Because the world wants to squeeze us into its mold. Romans 1, verse 18. I'll read it on the New Living Translations, verse 18 and 19. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Notice, they suppress the truth. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. So what do I get out of that? Saul didn't have that healthy fear of God. He simply had a prideful view of himself. He knew what was right. He just suppressed that truth. And he went and did what he wanted to do. So please write this down. What is a hard heart? How does that come? Here it comes. It's resistant to truth. It's resistant to simply common sense. And it's resistant to wise advice. 
See, God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. And as you know, we can quench the Spirit. And we can just ignore the Spirit when God speaks to us. Well, God, I know you're speaking to me, but I'm not interested. Not interested. Take a message. Take a message. Never listen to the message. So that's exactly what happened to Saul. Now, how do I counteract that? It's what I begin to think about. Take a look at Hebrews 3.15. This is a great warning to us. Hebrews 3.15. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, his words, don't you harden your heart. Don't you harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. So how do I get a hard heart? Here it is. Simple. Repeatedly saying no to God. Over and over and over and over again. Repeatedly saying no to God. You see, a soft heart, every time, every time you and I, are, we're listening to the word here tonight. Every time you hear the word, we have two options. You can obey the word, which is going to produce what kind of a heart in you? Soft. Or I can what? Disobey the word. Not listen to the word. Go against the word. What kind of heart? Heart. It's true. Remember, in our marriages, Jesus, in Matthew 19, says this. Divorce, separation, in marriages, comes from one reason. Hard hearts. God speaking over and over again to each spouse, each spouse saying, if she'd do this, if he'd do this, everything would be fine in a marriage. No, 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 no. God's speaking to me, and he's speaking to my wife. And he's telling me, here, you want to do this, and you want to do this. Yeah, but Pastor Mark, our marriage is hard. It is hard. Hardest thing you'll ever try to do. But it's the greatest thing. It's a blessing. So remember, this doesn't appear to be here, just in this area. It's simply a lifestyle. And here's the last thing I'll have you write tonight. Living in willing obedience produces a soft heart. Now, what's the difference between David and Saul? David's done some really poor things, haven't we? We've seen some horrible decisions. But finally, when confronted with God, what does David do? He repents and he changes. With Bathsheba, we'll see it later. He finally repents. Took him a year. But he repented. By the way, was he miserable during the year? He was horribly miserable. So what does that mean for us? When we hear the word, we have a choice. We can either obey, or when we hear the word, we can ignore it. Obeying produces a soft heart. Ignoring the word produces a hard heart. This is the last verse I want you to see. It's in Second Chronicles. It's a great verse, 69. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In today's message, Pastor Mark reminded you that leaders affect the lives of those they lead. He urged you to pray for those whom God has placed in leadership over you so that you will be led on God's path. You got to hear about the demise of Saul and his sons, which led to the ascendancy of David to the throne of Israel, confirming God's promise made to David. 
Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian, and Vieira. All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. Well, this brings to an end the story of Saul. Next time, Pastor Mark will be sharing about the beginning of David's reign as king. You'll hear how David dealt with someone who brought what he thought David would regard as good news. In this, you'll learn about the depth of David's humility and how he had his eyes firmly on the big picture, Israel and God, rather than on his own ambitions. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.